0: Welcome back, everybody, Woo-hoo! to Hoops HD, the grand <laughs> finale of the Hoops HD report here for the 2020-2021 season. It's oh, all yeah. over. And, had-
1: yeah. and I don't know if you saw the big news yesterday, the center of the college basketball world yesterday focusing on San Jose, California, where San Jose State has hired Tim Miles.
0: David, David, I've had some computer problems. I don't have a buzzer available tonight, but uh, you're buzzed anyhow. Uh, the- it is done. <laughs> it's it's over. One. Baylor has won the national championship, uh, and we are here to wrap everything up on the season. And we've got a bunch of things to discuss. So let's start by introducing who's here. I'm your host, Chad Sherwood, joined on my sides by John Tytel and Matt Sikowski. Down below me, unfortunately, is the puppet, David Griggs. To his sides, uh, Joby Fortson is the guy without video today. We've had some uh, technical problems. And with the awesome new microphone there, we've got Rocco Miller back from Bracketeer.org. Uh, really rocking it there, Rocco. <laughs> uh, but um, let's get right on into it here. Uh, the
1: 10 miles to, yeah, let's get right into it, Chad.
0: The national championship, the final oh. four. Uh, let's talk about that instead. should we
1: start with Tim Miles?
0: Uh, if we did things right, we should see the final four bracket on the screen. If we did things wrong, then I don't know what you guys are looking at. Uh, yeah. But that's your problem, not mine. Um, <laughs> let, let's yeah. actually start off though, not with the championship game, but let's not even the this first semifinal. Let's start with the second semifinal because we saw, I think, one of the best incidentally tournament games and definitely one of the best final four games I think we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, well, maybe since when Villanova won the championship. But tell. let me start with you on this Gonzaga-UCLA game. That was uh, just a great game.
2: Yeah, we could easily do a whole show about it. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, for the Bruins, uh, they just would not die. Johnny Juzang, 29 points, kind of kept them in it single-handedly, although he did get some help from his other starting five Um, And for the Zags, it was another thing where it was not a lot of bench scoring in this game. That's what made it so amazing was just each team's five starters, heavyweight fights, going back and forth all game long. And then, of course, uh, the shot for the ages by Suggs to win it at the buzzer.
0: Yeah, uh, Rocco, what what a shot that was to, uh, you know, uh, you know. I, I'm just trying to think back to some other Final Fours, and you know the one that came up, comes up keeps coming to mind is Villanova winning the championship, but that wasn't even the type of shot that Suggs hit to win this one.
3: Right, this was like 30. I think they measured it at 37 feet, so quite a bit deeper. Might even I think it's deeper than the TJ Sorrentino shot in the first round with Vermont over Syracuse. Uh, obviously, the magnitude of the Final Four, much uh, more prestige there. Uh, I mean, it's just you know I, Suggs is a tremendous. Player, I'm sure he's practiced that goofing around for his whole life. I think he said he did, um, and he made it at the right time. Pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's just a heartbreaking way for UCLA to lose. I mean, in a lot of ways, they played that perfect game. You know, I think in a lot of different shows this year, we talked about what it's going to take to beat Gonzaga. Almost every team in the country needed to play a perfect game to do it. UCLA actually, in a lot of ways, pulled it off. And to lose on a on a basically a half court shot is just you know, that's just a really tough way to go down.
0: Yeah. Go ahead, David. Uh, well,
1: yeah, in a couple of things about this, first of all, like the way it ended was the perfect compliment to how good the game was. And I was trying to think about how many, how often it is you see a game as good as that. And it's less than once a year. I think the last time we saw a game and it didn't come down to a final like long shot, but that, um, that Kansas Oklahoma game with Buddy, yeah. Hill, where I think it went in the two or was it two three or three overtimes? Three overtimes.
4: Twenty sixteen. It was that yeah. You stole exactly. What I was going to say, David. Yeah. The now the stakes. Yeah. The, the st-
1: were exactly the same because that was just a regular season game, but it was still a really well played game. Another one uh, that ties. Was one proper, versus two?
2: So that yeah, that it was
1: one it. versus two. Yeah. Another one that Tytel might remember, again, it was an NCAA tournament game. It involved Gonzaga in 2003. I think – did that go in the two overtimes? It was a one versus 9 round of 32 game, but it was similar to this one because they were real far apart in the seating, and it was just a heavyweight fight for the ages. Um it's you just don't see a game like that very often at any stage of the season much less in the final four i mean there have been other great games other classic moments but this from tip to buzzer was a perfectly played game it was great defense by both teams but great at the same time offensive execution and I, i i it's probably the best i've ever seen a team play that didn't actually win
0: right and that uh that was the second semifinal. Matt, the first semifinal was Baylor Houston, the game that I think people thought was going to be the good game. And that semifinal was, uh, was, was just not, not a good, it was, it <laughs> was, it was a Houston team that looked like they had not played a single digit seed the entire tournament. Oh, they hadn't.
5: <laughs> well, that's what it turned out to be a preview of the national title game where man Baylor big start hit threes early and Houston was never really in the game that, the, yeah. the, the Baylor guards just absolutely came to play final four weekend and they limited Houston off the offensive glass enough to where they couldn't score. And there you go. That was a laugher of a game between two other, I still like two good teams. I mean, I'll, I'll maintain even if it's in the minority, Houston was not the worst team at this final four, but Baylor still ran them off the court. How in that? No offense,
4: how would you not say that the worst team in the final four, not, in the tournament, I mean, I'm sorry, the UCLA. The way they were playing at the end of the year would have kicked Houston's tail. Houston shouldn't have even been there. Chad's Rutgers team should have beaten them in the yeah. first. Game. They should it, not have been there. It, like Chad's Rutgers
1: team had them beat. I mean, yeah. did you? Did uh, my you Rutgers
0: I... team should have been blown out by Baylor. Damn it! <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, yeah, and and Rocco uh, obviously with the. Baylor win, that set up the championship game that looked, it was kind of the game we were looking for all season, especially after the regular season matchup between these two teams didn't happen, uh, and it kind of was over about two minutes into the game, it felt like.
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. I mean, I think if you would have told anybody that before the game started, they would have all assumed Gonzaga was the team to win it, because we've seen Gonzaga do that uh, in almost ha- over half their games the last couple of seasons, but not longer. Um, It's more their style to get out and attack you early. I I think it was just a tremendous uh, matchup. We don't often in this sport get the opportunity to see uh, such a game of mysteries this late in the season. Um, You know, we obviously missed that opportunity earlier in the year uh, to see them match up. So we just you just don't know when you have two such elite teams uh, that haven't seen each other, how the speed of the game, you can't really translate that in practice or with many of the other teams or any other team on their schedule going in. Um, so the difference in the game, in my opinion, was Baylor's quickness. I mean, that first step at, uh, from both Mitchell and Butler, I mean, it was just unguardable. And and that opened up just the deadly shooting of Mayer, Flagler, Teague, um, even Mitchell and and, um, and company. They, they all can shoot. They're the number one three-point shooting team. Then you added in the fact they're number, a top five, I think number five offensive rebounding team even when they missed, they were getting second chances. So possession by possession, as they built that lead, even right from the first minute, you noticed even more than UCLA did, they extended that defense on Gonzaga and they weren't able to set up shop uh, right on top of the three point line. Like they liked to. They were setting up shop way out by the half court area. And I mean, that obviously just disrupted the heck out of Gonzaga. And it took them a long time to adjust by then they were down 15 or so.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Tytel, uh, you know, everyone's, the storyline here was, were the Zags going defeated? No, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. Uh, but for a COVID pause, I think his Baylor team would have been undefeated. They only lost one game, and it's a game right off, game coming right off the pause, wasn't it?
4: They was almost two.
2: Uh, they lost, they, I think
0: they still lose in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. Okay, sorry, you're right. They did lose in the, second,
2: the Big 12 tournament, but... No, I, Chad, I think it's a good argument. I mean, I think they also almost lost to Iowa State. So, like, it could have been a very different season, obviously. But, no, they were kind of uh, the 1A to Baylor's one uh, all season long. And no shame in losing at the Fog. And no shame in losing to a hot Oklahoma State team in the conference tournament at a neutral site. So, um, I just wonder, like, if they had Tristan Clark healthy. He had to retire from the sport after two years of battling injuries. But when healthy, he was one of the best – field goal shooters in the country. I think he really could have helped them go undefeated, even though I don't think we're going to see another undefeated team. Although Gonzaga is literally this close.
0: Yeah. Joby, uh, how, how well does, how high does this Baylor team rank for you in terms of champion, all time champions? I mean, this was a great team. Was it not? (laughs) No,
4: they're they're very much near the top. Uh, This, the, the fact is what entering the final, you know, I, the, 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 from that I was banging uh, over and over again is, you know, everybody wants to talk about the offense of these two teams. The fact is they're both really good defensively and Baylor showed that and Gonzaga showed that, While wow, they're a good defensive team. They are not elite. I actually thought the Zags were more elite than that. Uh, th- they left a lot of open shooters. Y- yes. Baylor stretches you, but there were open shooters. Uh, And yeah, Baylor just showed it. Uh, You know, if Jared, it all stems from Jared Butler, Butler, when Butler was cold, Baylor didn't struggle, but Baylor wasn't dismantling Houston, dismantling Gonzaga. And when you added, when he got hot in in the, you know, in the arrival to the final four that weekend, they were not going to be beat. And then you got to see the amazing defense that, I had been banging the drum on Mitchell's the best one-on-one ball defender out there right now in the, in the NCAA. And he showed it this weekend. Uh, It was just, it was a beautiful thing to watch seeing them on both ends of the floor perform at such a
0: high level. Well, uh, David, I have a, I want to discuss with you the team that lost the championship game here, Gonzaga. And I know you. this has been a little bit of an issue with you that people are saying that they've been overrated. Uh, people say they always lose in the tournament. Uh, I think you and I have different takes on this, but let, let, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, Is have the Zags been overrated for the last 15 years or are they legitimately one of the top couple teams in the entire nation?
1: I, well, I think the latter. Now, were they overrated in the sense that they were rated number one when they really should have been number two? OK, sure. <laughs> but like they're within the seed line, like we give ourselves credit yeah. for getting it within one of the seed line, don't we? Like this is what Gonzaga has done in the last set, six seasons or seven years where we had six tournaments they've been to sweet six sweet 16s no one else has they've been to four elite eights in that stretch and they've been to the national title game in two of the last three tournaments that we've had yeah they lose in the tournament but like 67 teams lose in the tournament i i don't really for people that say they've never won anything I just don't know what to make of that. Like if they haven't won anything, then who the hell has now? Yeah. They haven't won a national championship, but who else in the nation is on the kind of run that they're on where they're going to six straight Sixteens and four elite eights in the last in that stretch. I, well, I think that's pretty damn elite. And well, go ahead. Well, and they don't, they're scheduling. Another thing is that well, this team doesn't play anybody. <laughs> it's like, do you not watch basketball? Like Gonzaga's scheduling philosophy seems to be: we there's ten teams in the top ten, and we want to play all ten of them.
0: David, I guess here's my issue: is is they have not won a championship, and I get it by the standards of, for example, the four teams we're looking at the screen here that were in the final four. Uh, this Gonzaga team is incredible by those yeah. numbers. But if, if they are a truly, truly elite team, I think, uh, Matt, let me bring you back in here on this also get your thoughts on it. But, uh, you know, I think what I heard was that they've not been a one, two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. I think once in the last 15 years, they've been a, a one, two or a three seed. They're not being the elite of the elite in the postseason. They're not winning a championship. And by elite of the elite standards, they've kind of you know fallen short a couple of times.
5: Well, that is their last hurdle. I mean, I think this is the first time they truly went into the term as a favorite. I know the year twenty seventeen where they lost to Carolina in the title game; they were
0: one of the favorites. I,
5: I, think, we lose I Matt?
0: think we lost Matt. Uh, title, you, you got any thoughts on this? We try I, I to get didn't get it back. Do that,
1: by the way. <laughs> sure, I, I think, mean, yeah,
0: like, oh, do we get it back? Go ahead, Matt.
1: Oh, you're gonna have to repeat what you said, Matt. Not because it was All ingenious right. or anything, but because we couldn't hear what you <laughs> said.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that there. Uh, no, I think, like I said, they've come. Cl- this is the first time they went into the tournament as a favorite. Like I said, I think in 2017, it was close. They were, I think, them and North Carolina were probably co favorites that year. This is the first time they win it as a favorite. And now I think they have to, the next step is to win. And the one thing I'm thinking is they played a great schedule this year, but there wasn't like a real diversity of team or nothing to where they would have seen a team like Baylor's quickness. They had. Iowa, super skilled, not real athletic, Kansas more skilled than athletic this year, Virginia. That's definitely the case. They didn't have any of their NBA athletes, like DeAndre Hunter, or, or Mamadi M- Diakite in the past. So that's, I think what hurt them is when they see, when they saw Baylor's speed this time, like, Whoa, we mm-hmm. haven't seen anything like that. And so I think that's next year. They have like, even like Oregon, somewhat in their region or teams like that. They need to find a couple of teams. They don't have the type of speed you're gonna see at the highest level the the even if their speed and not as skilled as say a Baylor just to see like maybe a little more of a diversity of style
4: ironically Matt would you would you have said uh, even a game which they would have won easily against Kentucky might have
5: been helpful that kind of yeah that type of thing yeah. with that or like I like said out west if they were have played or they could have played in Oregon or
4: USC?
5: Or uh, like even like another one, they're not real skilled, but Tennessee with like Kia Johnson and Jaden Springer well, uh, and uh, that uh, that had quick guards.
0: I'll tell you kind of my thought on this whole thing here. I know I starting to ask you, so I'll get your thoughts out of here also in a second. But my thought is, it is, you know, it's kind of the Gonzaga. I don't know that it's an insult to really say that they've underperformed in the tournament based on how where they've been seated and the fact they haven't been some top teams because I think it's more of a compliment that this team is now should be mentioned with the Kentuckys and the Dukes and the North Carolinas every single year. They
2: are at or above that level. Agreed. Um, As far as the team itself, I mean, if you want to ask Joby how many times he's seen Virginia give up 98 points, I'll save you the I'll I'll save (laughs) you the time. Never happens. Ever, ever, ever. As far as the team itself, I mean, Corey Kispert, um, I feel terrible for him most of all. He's played four full years of college basketball. He's lost 11 games. That's like historic. And Kispert shows,
4: you know, we were taught I mentioned Butler, you know, Jared Butler being such a key Kispert was the other side of the coin and he had a bad weekend for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was off. Gonzaga uh, as proven against UCLA can win games against very good teams, even when he is off, but when they're meeting, their match, quote-unquote Baylor, you know, he's got to make that open three when they're down nine, you know, to cut it to six. You know, you know that, there was an instance in the second half. He nails that three to cut it to six. The The, the mentality changes, and you don't know where the world goes from that point. Uh, so it, it was – I agree, John. It's it's frustrating. I'm sure it's very frustrating for him personally to get lost number 11, as you point out when he personally didn't bring his best game, because I know, (laughs) I saw that Virginia
0: game. I know what he can bring. I'll tell you what, Rocco, any other final thoughts on on the tournament as it was, because we have a few topics we want to to cover before I pull this down though. And on Baylor's championship.
3: I mean, congratulations to Baylor. I mean, I think a lot of this Gonzaga conversation um, it is easy to go back and analyze all these things and why things went wrong last night. But I think it's, to me, it's a much more simple answer. I think Baylor's just a great champion. They had a tremendous team. I think the NCAA tournament, no matter what year you want to look at, always comes down to matchups, and and Baylor just matched up very well with Gonzaga. They are one of the few teams with the athletes and the shooters and the rebounding and everything you need to take down a juggernaut like Gonzaga, which they truly are. Um, they that was just the toughest matchup, and the probably the only team that could have done it. So. Uh, I just think Baylor is going to go down in my mind as one of the better champions I've ever seen. And um, they deserved it. I mean, you can look at the two losses they had, they shot under 24%, those two games um, from deep. And they also, of course, had the COVID effects a little bit still going on, maybe not the big 12 game, but that loss sure, probably sure helped them for this run here. Mm -hmm. Um, They only lost one game in the tournament or sorry, they only won one game in the tournament by single digits. They only had one team cover that was Hartford. And so, you know, Baylor was just completely dominant. I think that's all getting lost in the Gonzaga debate. Uh, uh, uh,
4: and Hartford, and Hartford covered by like half a point. Well, you know, but in a but, thirty point sprint.
1: So but, yeah. right,
0: but, but I, I was just gonna, just going to say that 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 you know, you said that there weren't the code effects of the Big Twelve tournament. I really don't think Baylor really got back to the way they'd been before their shut before their pause, probably until you know, maybe the Sweet 16, maybe even the Elite Eight came against Arkansas. It just mm-hmm. you know, that was when they really, really you know, started looking like the Baylor team that we had seen uh yeah. early in the season. But let's yeah. go well, on to a few just, other topics. Go ahead, David, okay. real quick.
1: Well just real quick, because I mean to to kind of follow up on what Rocco said, Baylor is a tremendous story as far as what they've done under Scott Drew. We talked about Gonzaga a lot that lost. Let's talk about Baylor that won. When Scott Drew got there where were they on the college basketball spectrum? Were they where they were Wazoo is. Where, where they're about where DePaul is. No, no Dave. Worse. They
0: they were worse than any of that because this was. Yeah. Scott Drew came in. They were so shut down that that they were only allowed to play a conference season that the, the first year. They they were as had came as close to any team to get getting the death penalty that we've seen yeah. in college basketball. Uh, they've and, Seen in, in any college athletic since SMU football. So yeah. <laughs>
1: so it was and they had no history. They had gone fifty years without making the tournament at all. I think, or maybe it was without winning a game. So. I think, yeah,
5: they won once in the '80s, but yeah, okay. It, but yeah, like, like, no history and digging out of good lore, like
1: yeah. So what he has done, if you if you're just new to the party, would be like going. I, I don't know where. Uh, like Chad said, I would say to Paul, but they're worse than that.
0: I, I, I hate to say, but but David, it'd be kind of like a, like go, going to San Jose State and turn them into a national yeah, powerhouse, I mean, but. Yeah. <laughs> i really hate to say that but uh but let's move on to a couple other topics here and and, uh joe let me start with you in this um we did see a lot you know throughout this season a lot of things different um obviously because of covid uh it was a rough season at times Uh, we saw games canceled like crazy but do you think there's anything that could come out of this in the way things happened that maybe we can carry over whether it's more matchups getting scheduled later on in the season is supposed to be predetermined or changing of the tournament schedule or anything else like that or do you think we just there, I, move I think, on and, I think, and, and, and forget this?
4: <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think there were some positives uh, that came out. Most definitely, um, I personally, and this is my, you know my my personal view, I actually liked uh, the uh, I, I actually liked the uh, second weekend cadence. Um, yeah, the, I think Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday still works for the first weekend because uh, um, there's game wall to wall game action. But the fact is, in the Elite Eight on Sunday, yeah, on Saturday and Sunday, you're only talking two games for your entire weekend day, you know, you for a day of an entire weekend. I like the quadruple header. I thought that was awesome. And you could then Monday and Tuesday, you can do a doubleheader at night and still get, you you know, the viewership. And the game ends on Tuesday. You know, there's plenty of time till Saturday. That's the normal cadence of a week, you know, during the regular season. So it's not like teams will be uh, even if they were traveling, which in future years they will. uh, I don't see that as a huge, you know, as a huge issue. So that is one thing I'd like to see remain. I I hope that they would think about it. Um, As far as scheduling, Chad, I agree. I love the scheduling and the flexibility of scheduling. I just don't think athletic directors are going to go that way. No. yeah, You know, plain and simple. I, I like it, but it's not a, you know, with my idea with the tournament, that's good for TV ratings. So, thus, it might mean money, <laughs> you know. You know what I describe. Whereas the other one, it's just too complicated <laughs> for athletic directors to fail figure out on the fly in a normal year.
0: Yeah. Um, any other positives, that I tell you that we take out of this
2: season, or is it just kind of hey, we got through it, we got it, we got a tournament, we got a champion. <laughs> I'm leaning towards flush it and burn the tape and move on. But, I mean, it was fun to have games on a Tuesday in March. I won't lie. Like, it was fun. As an old man on the East Coast, I wish the games wouldn't – the late games wouldn't end at midnight. But that's on me. That's not on the NCAA, I guess.
5: Yeah, I think – I hope they keep the standalone Sweet 16 games. Like, that's – games with that much, I think, at stake. Um, I like, a, should a, be played by themselves. A,
1: a little insight to this. I think this will get some talk this summer – One of the things, Joby, about about the final four with the Elite Eight ending on a Tuesday and then the final four on a Saturday, one of the things you have to keep in mind is everything that's connected to the final four, such as the coaches' convention. Probably that's the biggest one. And I think that they want those teams set At least by Monday, I could see them maybe going to a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday format because that's been talked about before, but I don't think they'll play Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Again, I'm just guessing, but uh, because not because of the teams or the games or anything that we actually care about. It's because of everything that's connected to the final four with what the NCAA does.
0: Let's kind of take a look at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about throughout the offseason here moving forward and uh, and one of the big things we always talk about every off season is, is coaching changes and probably the biggest surprise of them all uh, Rocco and uh, is Roy Williams announcing his retirement. Uh, you know, the end of an era here, one of the, one of the great college basketball coaches of all times and, and Rocco he's, he's done.
3: Yeah. Pretty abruptly too, Chad. I, I think he kept that one very quiet or didn't even know himself until maybe within that last 48 hours or so before he announced it. I think, uh, it was just one of those things from what I heard that it was weighing on him heavily. Obviously, a lot of changes coming this next season with um, so many players and roster construction being so much more, um, you know, it's such a bigger workload, you know, recruiting players from all over the country, whether they be in high school or on other college teams, it's just a whole different animal. And uh, a coach in his generation was such a great uh, historic Hall of Fame coach. Um, you have to wonder, like, is he the first of like a couple more dominoes to fall uh, here in the next few years? You'd have to think probably. But uh, Roy, you know, a guy who loves to get on the golf course, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he did everything he could for North Carolina for, and got a championship a few years ago. So I think he felt content and was ready to, to, to make that move.
0: Yeah, and, and Matt, I'll give you a shout-out here. One of the other major coaching moves was what was what happened at Texas with uh Chris Beard coming in and Shaka Smart going over to your Marquette school.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's one of weird. I think you don't often see a win-win for both sides. I think this is actually a win-win for both sides. Like for no, reasons, no, no, yeah. Not a
0: win not a win for Texas Tech who did promote up Mark Adams <laughs> well, today, but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what
5: else? No, like actually <laughs> I like Mark Adams and I'll actually get bring him up with a point here coming up, but yeah, that's where after six years of got a little stale there with Yaka like he was going to, I don't think he was going to get let go this off season, but I think he would have been out of scorching hot seat going into next year and wisely say, Hey, I, I, I don't need this. There you go. You got, a, it was a top 25 top. Open. Let's go take that. I'm closer to home now. I mean, he's like an hour from his mom. He grew, he lit, he was born and grew up in Wisconsin. So this is more of a home base for him. And that, I think, it's funny, had he come to Marquette in 2014, he would add the pressure of what Buzz did at Marquette, which was real, really good. I mean, three 16, sweet 16s in Elite Eight. Now he's replacing Wojo. Three tournaments in center or would have been three tournaments in seven years if they played one in 2020. But the last year, 13 and 14, Well, the only two coaches in Marquette history to have multiple losing seasons while as coach. So a, a little easier ride for him, I think. And you saw like this year at Texas, he started playing more his VCU style. Maybe not quite the havoc defensively, but much faster pace. I think they like in the they were definitely in the top half in tempo for the only time he was at Texas, and I think he'll play more like that at Marquette in the Big East, play a little more up tempo conference too than the Big Twelve.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess. guess yeah, so the, the other, I mean, there's a lot of coaching we could talk about. We we'll probably talk about them during the course of the off season of Joey One other notable retirement, officer was Lon Kruger out. Of, retired yeah. in Oklahoma uh and and in comes Porter Moser after after all that success at Loyola well i you know, i i think Oklahoma will not skip a
4: beat there but it kruger is one of those most uh, i i truly believe he's one of the most underrated coaches uh, of I the last quarter that. century you know he's taking he took multiple teams you know throughout the term uh, the florida run you know that he had obviously uh you look at you know in the early 2000 in, 2000, in the early 2000s he has succeeded wherever he's gone uh, he's not flashy but you know he built he built yeah there's a lot of pre- more pressure at Oklahoma than you think because it's not like you know the cable years and the Samson years you know they they actually have some basketball tradition, Larry Brown, Yeah, the the uh, Billy the, Tubbs, the Billy Tubbs years yeah. with Raymond Tisdale, obviously. Uh, and so, yeah, he he succeeded, and he did it. He is leaving on his own terms, imminently. And I think he and Roy Williams, I think the departure is very similar. I think that they both probably had fuller lives than maybe a lot of coaches do. (laughs) And Oklahoma landed quite well. Porter Moser, it's, uh, you knew he was going to, you knew he was going to move somewhere, probably this year, if not next year. And uh, a lot of point people, rightfully so pointed to the big 10, but Oklahoma and Norman makes a lot of sense. And I think he will continue the strong you know, performance that you've seen out of the Sooners program. I think it will just merely continue and they will compete in the Big 12 for uh, NCAA tournament spots and maybe in possibly even protected seeds going forward.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take a little time there because he, he plays a different style than Kruger and it might take a little time to get some guys in. He did make a great hire, and KT Turner, to be his uh, yes. top assistant.
0: Uh, I, think, I, I
5: think he can
4: get the Oklahoma team, though, to play defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the heart and soul of it. I think he can, and the cupboard's not bare yeah. so i I think he'll do I will be surprised if Oklahoma does not make the tournament next year uh, Me too. I'm, yeah, yeah I, i'm I'm not saying they're competing with you know with Kansas, et cetera, for the title, but i think I think they have enough still in stock and yeah, it'll be a rough off
0: season, I think, for kids who don't want to play defense though. <laughs> uh but I yeah, I, I will tell you at uh, you know, that Coach Kruger is still gonna be the NCAA. It's just gonna be his son, uh, over at UNLV after Otzelberger oh. left for Iowa State. But uh any other thoughts about, about anything the coaching carousel that we've seen so far from you? Well
2: you Yeah mentioned it's, it's just oh. uh, I'm sorry, I was asking Tytel there first. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, Shaka. Um, Mountain <laughs> West is becoming like the sons of coaches league. we got a Patino, we got a Kruger, and we got an Odom. Unfortunately, it's Richard, Kevin, and Ryan instead of Rick, Lon, and Dave, but still not bad. And, of course, we have a new coach in San Jose. The Mountain West is going to look completely yes. different next year.
0: Yeah, and uh, Rocco – It's a, uh, a
2: big, big hire for San Jose State. I Rocco, mean, a, a change like, in,
0: the, in the Pac-12 as well. Uh, Craig Smith coming into, into Utah –
3: yeah, yeah, a couple of Pac-12 actually impacts uh, with Craig Smith going to Utah. I think, I think Craig Smith already doing a tremendous job. He's already got a couple guys, Riley Batten, most notably, to come out of the transfer portal and already commit to coming back to Utah. He's already building a tremendous staff there uh, under the Utes. I think it's a, a, about as good of a hire as the Utes could have got. He doesn't have to move far, of course. And then the other notable one is Tony Stubblefield leaving Oregon to go to DePaul I think this is pretty significant because I, I think most of the country doesn't know a lot about Tony, uh, but Tony has been the right-hand man for Altman for about the last six, seven years. All that talent that Oregon brings in, you know, every year they lose all these guys, and then all of a sudden we get to the end of the summer and they've got a bunch of five stars. Guess who's behind that? That's Doublefield. And now a bunch of these kids are already in the portal at Oregon. Um, DePaul's going to have talent. Now, wh- how good of a coach Doublefield is as a head coach, that remains be me. He was an interim at New Mexico State about six, seven years ago. Um, that's going to be the key. And, and what kind of staff can you build at DePaul? But there is going to
0: be a lot of talent going to DePaul. Yeah. Hey, it would be nice to, to, for DePaul to stop being a joke. Uh, so uh, who knows? Um, one other topic I want to hit on. Uh, well, a couple of this here. But but uh, first of all, uh, Tytel, uh your Arizona women's team yeah. pulled off what an amazing upset in the semifinals of the women's final four, knocking off uh, – UConn, but came up just short, just short against Stanford in the championship game.
2: It's hard to get angry about a team that loses a national championship by a single point on a shot at the buzzer. So I won't. The cats played out of their minds. It's amazing to think, like three years ago, this team has, was a six-win team, and then Adia Barnes get the rolling, the alum, and then uh, Ari Thompson get to going uh, for the the team to Erin McDonald. mcdonald's uh i'm still shaken by the fact that she only shot 5 of 21 in the title game we didn't deserve to beat stanford we shot 28 percent, but we were still there and to be honest had you told me that we'd ever beat UConn, i would have called you a liar so nothing but success for the cats
0: yeah and, and uh and david i think uh, gino's on the hot seat now definitely right
2: yeah
1: very much so <laughs> um what is it? I, I, was I think, it's think it's four point. straight
0: national semifinal losses now. I mean that that's pathetic, right?
1: It, it is, and <laughs> like I think they've gone eleven or twelve years. What is it with no at large bid? I mean that is a problem.
0: Uh, but yeah, that 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 is the women's tournament. I guess uh, that's all I've got in my notes here. So let me kind of run through each of you for any other thoughts you may have had on. Anything we discussed tonight, anything on the entire 2020-2021 season. Uh, Joby, let me start off with you. Yeah, well, uh, harken back to the most fun we probably had uh, generally
4: was watching the late night game on Saturday. And when it happened, uh, there are, and rightfully so when it happens, There are comparisons to Duke, Kentucky, Leitner shot. There's comparisons to Chris Jenkins, you know, know, uh, et cetera. But – and I think those comparisons are fair because, like those games, they weren't just the final shot. They were just great games throughout, Uh, just fun, great games throughout. Uh, But I think Gonzaga losing in the final might – yeah, takes away, it does take away from the memory that a decade from now we'll be saying, oh, greatest games ever. I think it'll be a footnote. Uh, basketball geeks like me and David remember Oklahoma, Kansas, yeah, you know, as a great yeah. game. But the fact of the matter is to the average uh, basketball fan, they'll remember it for a little while, but it will fade away and people will go, oh yeah, I think I remember it, but it'll, uh, we're still going to be talking Leitner. We, yeah, we're still going to be talking. You know, Chris Jenkins. Yeah, I, I think because those teams went on or did
0: win the title. Uh, yeah, I think that's the big difference. And, and had Gonzaga been Baylor, that that shall we talked about for hundred years from now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean the the
4: the Bobby Hurley UNLV upset. You know, the famous Bobby Hurley unV I think that's a. I think that's viewed differently if Duke doesn't beat Kansas two nights later.
5: Or even 92, Duke, Kentucky, as great as Zeke was, if Duke yes. doesn't win the national title, Duke, exactly. it might not it have was bad, a yeah. great, great game. It's it's
4: Tyus Edney. Remember that? That was a great yeah. game. Yeah, Tyus Edney. But no, the average fan doesn't even know who Tyus Edney is. <laughs>
0: um, Matt, how about you? Any other th- final thoughts?
5: Yeah, the one I'm looking at is I brought it into it's Texas man. Chris Beard. Great coach, and look at his staff Ulrich Mal- uh, Maligi, one of the best recruiters out there. And then Hunt pulled in two sitting head coaches from there Chris Ogden from Texas San Antonio and Rodney Terry from Utah. Like on paper, it doesn't look like there's any chances fails, but I had to see one how is Beard do without Mark Adams, a new Texas tech coach, because he was the guy behind their great defense. And then two, as good as man, like this looks like you can't fail on paper. But a Texas, with the institutional issues they sometimes have, could it be even too big to fail? All
0: right. Uh, Titel, uh, I think you uh, you got a picture here, too, also. Let's get off of those. Yeah, list. So, You've been partially yeah, stolen it already. But.
2: <laughs> wrap up the Baylor season for you by yeah. starting, unfortunately, on a sad note. This is Patrick Dennehy. So let me take you back to August 03 when the Baylor all conference player, back when they were in the Mountain West, was shot and killed by his teammate Carlos Dotson. August 7th, 03, they held a memorial service for him, ironically, in the center of the college basketball universe, San Jose, California. Fifteen days later, Scott Drew takes the job at Baylor after coming over from Valpo. Starts off his career at Baylor in Waco with four straight losing seasons. And since then, he's been unbelievable. 30 wins in 2012, NIT title in 2013, and now, of course, the national championship. The guy's going to get his 400th career win next year. He's only fifty years old. He's going to go from four straight losing seasons to the Hall of Fame, probably in a decade. Unbelievable career trajectory, and I still don't know how he did it, but he's doing it.
0: Absolutely, uh, you know. I I just can't believe he didn't go to Fortin, Indiana. I just I uh, just shocked me <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rocco.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I I can't help but you know hang on to this season and remember how. Northern Iowa, Jacksonville, and, of course, BCU, how their seasons just abruptly ended with no closure, um, just getting sent home. I just, I'm just, gonna i just always going to remember. And I know there's a couple of others that I'm not mentioning. Uh, one,
0: Duke, you could really say, on. Huh?
3: <laughs> yeah, Duke. Is, so there you go. Uh, so that's just, like, I really hope we never have to see anything like that again. That was, uh, you know, BCU is a team that was inside the bubble Uh, We saw what a team that barely was inside the bubble that UCLA could do. You have to give them credit where credit is due. They could have, who knows, made a final four run. Um, So there's that. But I think on the positive side, um, you know, the West Coast, you know, made a huge leap forward. Obviously, the Pac-12 had a ridiculous tournament. All their metrics went through the roof. They finished third in Ken Palm. But I think even more so, like, the WCC was clear head and shoulders above the Mountain West, big move. Like, the depth of the league is getting better. Everybody talks about Gonzaga, but those of us that know the league, you can see the bottom starting to rise up even higher. Um, and also, how about the Missouri Valley um, coming up above the Mountain West in the top 10 this year? Um, and so, looking towards next year, I think the, the league to really look at is the whack. Uh, you've got, uh, we talked about it a lot. You've got Abilene Christian, you got Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, and then the, the Lamar just hired Alvin Brooks um, to go along with the core already, where you know New Mexico State and Grand Canyon are going to be really tough. Mark Madsen's at Utah Valley. Um, this league is gonna go from just like kind of a okay, we know it's either one or two one of two teams going to the dance to like a six or seven pack of really good teams. So I'm very for the whack next year.
0: And, and up and coming Southern Utah, not next year, the year after that team's coming in and they're and they're getting rid of Chicago State. Very important move there too. Uh, <laughs> Where um, is Chicago State standing? Uh, no unknown as of
4: the moment. Uh, so, so what you're telling me is had they kept Chicago state, the whack would be so good. They'd be ineligible for the Centenary. Uh, <laughs> uh
0: David.
1: Uh, I've got two things. First, really quick. Tim miles is going, is going to be back in coaching. He's going to be at San Jose. It is the center of the college basketball universe. Uh, you know, ten Miles, a, f- a week or so ago, I heard he bought a Beatles album and everybody was like, oh, well, that is huge for the Beatles. I mean, I mean, that is a really big deal for them that ten Miles would be, you know, giving them a boost like that. I mean, who knows? It could la- make them one of the more influential bands in rock history. So big, big deal for uh, San Jose State. Secondly, on a more serious note, it was uh, again, this was this was a really, really hard season. And I think that everybody, every player out there, and every coach out there deserves a huge thank you from us, from all of the fans, because it's hard enough as it is under normal circumstances. This year, it was damn near impossible. I, I don't think that as fans, we fully understood what a lot of these players went through, not just in basketball, but in general. They couldn't see their families. Maybe they could wave from them to you know from the court to the seats, but they couldn't see them. They didn't get to go home for holidays. They typically don't, but like they couldn't see anybody. They were in this bubble. They were encased. Everywhere they went, it was constant testing. Um, if you had say a girlfriend or a significant other that wasn't in school, you probably didn't get to see them hardly at all. Had someone asked me to do all that when I was 20 years old, I don't think I would have. I, 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 I honestly don't. And as a fan of the sport, I appreciate very much that we got the season that we did. I don't care if your team won one game or all their games. Thank you for giving us a season because holy cow, did we need it? It was fun doing this with you guys. It was really, I think it was frustrating for all of us going through COVID, but it was always fun to sort of have this waiting for you every morning and every night. So I appreciated that. But more than anything, I don't, this is the first time ever. I just want this buried and done. I was actually kind of excited to see the countdown clock because next year we're going to have exempt tournaments again. It's going to feel. Like college basketball normally does, or at least I hope so. We'll have fans in the stands again. Kansas, Missouri's coming back. Tim Miles is coming back. A lot of what we love about the atmosphere and the environment of the season will be back. And I'm just sort of looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, If you look over there on the website or maybe it's on the other side there, uh, you'll see our countdown clock. It's up and running. We are counting down to the start of the next season as we record this right now. 216 days, 14 hours and 58 minutes away from the tip-off of the 2021-2022 season, uh, which hopefully... Uh, we pray will be a season like normal and not like this yeah. past year. Uh, and, and and this is the goal that we're all good. that they're all going to be going for this year. Right now, now let's start oh, talking man. about twenty twenty two Final Four in New Orleans. Uh, what better party yeah. town to, to 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 for a Final Four next year after man. what we? Oh yeah, I'll season. be there.
1: I will be there. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, but th- this season was so important. Mm-hmm. Programs got saved, it, it, especially the non revenue sports mm-hmm. benefited. We got the tournament in. We got a lot of the money distributed. Um I and again, I just hope that people take time to at least think about this what the players went through to give us this season.
0: Absolutely. But we are now moving on, like we said, 2022, New Orleans. That is the new goal. Congrats to Baylor. But uh, you know what? It's over. We've turned the clock. We're going on to next season. Let's find us a, us a new champion uh next March and next April. But on that note, I do want to take this one final chance here to thank everybody for joining us throughout this COVID crazy year. Uh, we will be back every month during the course of the off season with a uh, at least once per month with a podcast we'll be coming I guess it's going to be in October we'll start doing preseason previews for next year there's tons of content that's going to be on the website we've got uh, we've got the Olympics coming up this summer I think uh, John you've got some Olympic columns up there already I don't know if there's any more coming up or not Uh, uh, we'll find out (laughs) keep your eyes posted for some interviews but on behalf of John Matsikowski up here, Joby Fortune, or at least a black box that has his name <laughs> on it, my screen down below me, Rocco Miller, check him out at bracketeer.org as well. And David Griggs, his side, and everyone else that joined us here at Hoops, uh, the Hoops HD staff throughout the season. Uh, I guess who else was with us it was Mike Cha, John Stalica. Uh, I might be forgetting somebody. Yeah, I forgot Scott it. Schwartz. Don't yeah, yeah. For anybody else, I may have forgotten. I'm Chad Sherwood. Thanks for joining us. Thanks everybody for an amazing season and we'll be talking to you again real soon.